Chad Kern is a friend of mine. I've known Chad since 2004, and way back about six or seven months ago, something like that, he returned to the southwestern Ohio district, and I got him on our preaching schedule pretty quick because I wanted to share Chad with you. I told the first service, Chad was the best preacher that we had on the district, at least the last time I heard him. I didn't know if he regressed any or not, but... after hearing him in the first service, he uh, he still can bring it, and I um, we're so pleased to be able to have Chad back on our district. Um, he is a refocus and new start coordinator, and I'm not sure totally what that all means, but he goes around to churches and and, and helps them bring new life to those churches, and that's a three-year assignment on our our district and one that is uh, very much needed. And so uh, Chad travels around from church to church, and we're blessed this week to be able to snag him and be able to hear from uh, his uh, ministry uh, today. He was the founding pastor of uh, Living Hope Community Church of the Nazarene, which was over in Centerville, and about, I don't know, 30 or 40 people from West Carrollton went over to a little church that uh, was not much going on in Centerville and uh, took that uh, congregation from 30 or 40 that started that to um, well into the 400s by the time that he left after 14 years of pastoring that church. So uh, we are blessed as a district to be able to have Chad back on this district as he um, went to another district for a little while, and we're blessed to have him today at Xenia. Would you give him a good welcome, please? It is an honor to be with you today, and I just wanted to um, echo what I shared in the first service, and that is that I don't know if you know it, but your pastor does not just minister here, but ministers to many of us outside of these walls, and um, I'm just one example, I'm sure, of many other, um, is this on? Am I okay? All right. All right. Um, just one of many other examples of how he has uh, ministered outside these walls is because he has been a constant um, encourager to me, um, someone that I can go to and seek advice, and also someone I can trust. And this is a big deal, as someone who will push back and ask me the hard questions. And I greatly respect that in your pastor. And um, he is respected on this district, and I think we ought to just show him your appreciation as well as mine for his work. Well, I asked, uh, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> We're not supposed to do that in front of everybody. I thought we agreed to that be- afterwards. You know? <laughs> so I asked Mark, he didn't, I'll give you another chance, Mark. Um, I asked you where you went to on your honeymoon, and you struggled in the first service. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? That was with confidence this time. That's good. The main thing is he knows he was married. So other than that, we don't really care. But I was thinking, um, Kimberly and I, this um, June will be married 14 years. And I was thinking about our honeymoon in preparation for today. And I realized that there is a question that has been on my mind for 14 years because of an event that happened in our honeymoon. And what happened was that Kimberly was not there when I needed her the most. Now, I will give my wife, she's here, she doesn't want to come up and talk, but she has made sure that when I tell this story, I have to tell her side. And so I'll just tell you in advance, I am going to tell her side. Now, you know her side isn't the right side, 
right, men, husbands, we know. Our side, our view is always the right one, of course, but we'll give her a chance. So she'll have her chance in a little bit, but right now you need to know that I'm going to tell you the right side of the story, okay? So we were on our honeymoon, and we decided we are in the mountains in Pennsylvania at this little small resort, nothing fancy, but they had a, a paddle boat lake. They had a lake with paddle boats in it. And for free, and that was my first thing that got my interest, for free, you could go and you could paddle boat. And so I said, well, why don't we get ready for dinner and we'll go take a romantic little paddle around the lake while the sun is starting to set. Doesn't that sound nice? So we're in the mountains. I mean, you can picture, we're in the mountains. We have this lake. We get all dressed up. I had khakis on and a nice shirt, and it's all tucked in. I have my nice watch on, my good shoes. And, and, we're, and Kimberly looks beautiful, and we go down, and we walk down. And we get in the paddle boat, and we paddle around. It's very, just as romantic as we thought it would be. And then we pull up to the dock just as the sun is beginning to set, and I say, and I help my new bride out, and she gets out. And, and then that's the last I see of Kimberly. The one who is committed to be with me till death us do us part. She is gone. And I am one who, if you know me, I am one of the least coordinated men on earth. I am thankful to be able to walk upright, let alone get out of a paddle boat by myself. But Kimberly is gone. And so I stand up in the paddle boat, and it goes like this. You know how it works. And I think, how am I going to get out? Kimberly's nowhere to be found. So then I, I straddle to the other side like this. And then I very slowly stand up, and I'm okay. I'm all right. But the moment I do this, whoa, the moment I do this, whoa, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get out? And so I began to think to myself, my strategy, and I realized the only way out of this paddle boat, because my wife is nowhere to be found, not that I have, I'm holding on to that in any way, but my wife is nowhere, so I figure I'm going to have to jump from the boat to the dock. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? It really did to me when I, in that moment. And so I'm sitting there, and I remember I was, I was thinking about it. I could see it. I'm like, I know I can do this. I know I can do this. And I have positive thinking, and I'm praying to God and heaven to help me. And so I, one, two, three, and I jump. But what I didn't calculate was that the energy that would take me to jump, and I jumped high, would also push that paddle boat away from the lake, <laughs> on the dock. And so when I jumped, the paddle boat went that way, and I went straight into the lake. Now, as though that wasn't embarrassing enough, God decided it would be funny to send a little man who is half my size. Kimberly refers to him as an elf-like man. And this little elf-like man grabbed me by the back of the shirt and grabbed me and held me up as though I was a prize catch from the lake. Covered from head to toe in water, a crowd has now gathered, and finally my wife, again, who knows where she was? She appears for this. To see water dripping off of me, a leaf stuck in my head. And then do you know what my wife did? She did the one thing she should not have done. She looked at me and she did this. Ha! <laughs> Friends, I'm still not mature enough to handle my wife laughing at me when I've just fallen in a lake, right? And so I, the question I asked her when I, was not, when I calmed myself down and we finally squish squashed all the way back to the room with everyone staring at us as they were going to dinner was, Kimberly, where were you when I needed you the most? And I can laugh and smile about that now. But I have a whole lot of friends who are struggling with a question like that and they can't laugh and they can't smile about it. I was thinking of, my, of this with my son Seth, second grade. He came home with a little paper, the sloppy copy, the first draft of, a, of an interview his teacher was having him do with one, one of his classmates. Little girl in second grade, Seth's just jotting down everything she says, very dutifully catching every word. 
And we'll read it. And it says this. I'm in children's services. My daddy is in jail because he was throwing hammers at my mommy. And my mommy's in jail because she was using drugs. Now this is second grade. And she's carrying this to school every day. And I thought to myself, eventually it's going to come, isn't it? When that little girl grows up enough to have a question come to the forefront of her mind. Where was my mom and dad when I was a little girl and I needed them the most, right? It's the question of a friend of mine who um, is a, a business owner, well he was, started his own business in the Dayton area, doing well. I mean, he put blood, sweat, and tears, his own money to start this. Nobody helped him. He didn't have anybody investing. It was all on him. They, he and his wife sacrificed, and they built this business up to the point where he brought in partners, loyal, trusted friends who had worked their ways up, and he knew he could trust them. And then within a couple years of bringing in these partners, these partners legally but unjustly and unfairly found a way to root him out of his own business. And now he's asking the question, where are all these people that I helped as they were helping me, I helped, and now there's nowhere one to be found now that I'm not successful anymore. It's a question of a, of a friend of mine who, for her own healing with a Christian counselor, was finally led to ask a question that she didn't want to ask, but she needed to. Where was my mom when she was in the house and my dad was raping me from the time I was in elementary school to high school. Where was she? And these are the kinds of questions, isn't it, that people carry around and live with every day. Where was so-and-so when life went wrong? Where was she when life went wrong? Where is he right now that life is going wrong? And I want to push just a little bit further and ask, would you be willing to ask an even more personal question? And that is this. Does anybody have the courage here to ask, where is God when life goes wrong? I think for some of us, we say, well, maybe we've never had something so go wrong that we'd even ask that question. If so, then I say, thank the Lord in heaven for that, but be aware that your time may come when you find yourself in something that has gone so wrong that you find yourself asking a question you didn't think you would ask. Where is God in this? Or maybe you think that it's kind of a weak faith. Only those who are weak in their faith ask those kind of... I mean, if you're mature in your faith, you don't ask those questions. But if the weak people, then they're the ones who ask those kind of questions. Where is God when life goes wrong? Or, or maybe you think that maybe that's offensive to God. That no way would you ever ask that question to the Father. Because you don't want to offend Him by asking such a small faith kind of question. Where is God when life goes wrong? But I would suggest to you that the Bible suggests to us that it's not the weakest of faith people, but the strongest of faith people who ask the hardest questions. Like, where is God when life goes wrong? Take Job. A man who God said, he is so faithful, Satan, do with him as you please. I'm telling you, this man is faithful. But by the end of the book, after his friends has had it, he sat there silently enduring these so-called friends. And, and finally, Job speaks up, and in his own way, he asks the question, where is God when life goes wrong? And, and King David, a God, man after God's own heart, how many times in the Psalms does he write in one way or the other, where is God when life goes wrong? 
And don't you think that the people, the few that followed Jesus faithfully all the way to the cross, a few women and one man, don't you think they were asking that question as they watched him suffer and die? In fact, I would suggest we know they're asking that question even though they don't say a word about it because Jesus answers one of them from the cross. I argue he answers one of them from the cross, answering the question for us all, where is God when life goes wrong? And the one he answers is Mary, his mother. But before we get to the cross with Mary, we have to take a little journey. Let's just remind ourselves of what we already know, how it all started. Angel Gabriel comes to her, 13, 14 years old. Gabriel says, listen, you have been chosen. You are going to give birth to the King of Kings. The Lord, his name will be Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. And she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answers without answering when he says, hey, for nothing is impossible with God. That's a great answer. I don't know how, but I do know this. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary says, let me be your servant then. And then all of a sudden this journey begins, but it's not until she meets her cousin Elizabeth, who also has heard angels, John has, heard, Zachariah has, heard angels speak and seen miracle pregnancies. Then Mary finally feels like she can sing a song, a song that God gives her. My soul glorifies the Lord, Psalm uh, Luke 1, 46. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and His servants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And I believe that is the song that Mary pondered in her heart. As the scripture says, she wrapped the creator of the universe in swaddling clothes and lied him, lie him in a manger. And watched as shepherds come, and I believe that she sung. Her song was reaffirmed as she thought, he scatters the proud and he lifts up the humble, the lowest of the low shepherds. And then a couple years later, when Jesus is a toddler learning to walk, uh, wise men from the east come, and they bring gifts fit for a king. And I believe she held that in her heart, and she said, there it is, just what God taught me to sing. The rich will give away so that the empty can be filled up. Look at this. I, I imagine that when she was trying to get Jesus to eat something, and her brother, her sons, and his half-brothers were saying, hey, he's crazy, Mom, just forget it. And she says, no, he needs to eat. He's been doing all this ministry. He needs to eat. And then she hears Jesus say to those he's teaching, who is my mother, and who are my brothers, but those who do the will of the Father. And all of a sudden, Mary hears her song as kind of a rebuke. This wasn't just for her. He had come for all the descendants of Israel, of Abraham. Mary's song. And then finally, on Palm Sunday, finally, after all these years, 33 years of singing this song all by herself, wondering if anybody else was going to hear this song, finally, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides in, and people lay palm branches before him, just like they would a king, and they say, Hosanna, glory to God, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the king of Israel. And finally, they're singing, and she's singing. You can just imagine the tears streaming down her face. It's finally all of Jerusalem sees what she sees in her boy, sees what she sees in the boy of God. And she sings this song with everyone. Now, this is a little weird thing. He's riding on a donkey. 
I mean, the Messiah was supposed to ride on a stallion carrying a sword because he was to dethrone the Romans and, and put Israel back on the throne. So that's a little weird that he would ride on a donkey, a symbol of peace and humility. But never mind that. Right now, what matters is, finally, after all these years, after everybody, even myself, questioning, was I crazy? Was there really an angel? Finally, Mary can sing with everyone the song that she knew God gave. And then less than a week later, she can't sing because she can hardly breathe, right? She gets word that Judas, one of Jesus' friends, have betrayed him with a kiss. He's been arrested. He's in the high priest's house. There's some mock trial. Pilate is washing his hands of all of this, and yet he's ordering for floggings and crucifixions. And, and she follows Jesus to the cross after they, the soldiers have mocked him by putting a crown of thorns in his head and purple, the color of royalty, on his back. And, 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 and she follows him as he carries the cross beam all the way up the hill of Golgotha, and, and she sees him going to be held hung between two common criminals and she's standing there at the foot of the cross barely able to breathe she can't sing a song but she has to be wondering about her song what about the song you taught me to sing God what about the lowly being lifted up what about the proud being scattered what about the empty being filled what about God's mighty arm to overcome what about your mercy father what about your promise to your people this is not how the song is supposed to go and isn't that where our minds go it's where mine goes when life goes wrong God why God if you're a loving God how God, if you care so much, then why is this happening? Why this pain? Why this loss? Why this suffering? Will you give yourself permission to ask that question? Where is God when life goes wrong? If not for you, will you give yourself permission to let someone else you know who is suffering right now ask that question? Where is God when life goes wrong? Because if you will, I believe you will hear, hear Jesus speak just as Mary did. And I believe when Jesus speaks to Mary, he answers for everyone where God is when life goes wrong. John 19, beginning at verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, at first I have to be honest, I read that and say, that does not answer the question at all. <laughs> how does, woman, here is your son, son, here is your mother, how does that answer the question at all? Where is God when life goes wrong? But we have to understand that sometimes it's not just the words of Jesus, what he says, but it's also the place in which he says it that gives an answer if we'll hear it. And I believe Jesus, loud and clear from the cross in those words to Mary, he says to us all, God is right there with you where life goes wrong. God is right there suffering with you. God is right there being abandoned with you. God is right there being rejected with you. God is right there taking on the sin and the shame and the regret with you. God is right there with you when life goes wrong. There's just one problem. I don't see him there. Back to the Kimberly story. Remember I told you she was going to get a chance? 
She has a chance now to speak. She's too, she won't come up here. You want to come up? Okay, see, she didn't want to. So I offered. She said no. You know, Sue, you probably wouldn't do it either if Mark had, no, you guys are a lot alike, I think. And so Kimberly won't come up, but here's her side of the story. I said, Kimberly, where were you when I need you the most? She said, Chad, I was right there. And I said, well, if you were right there, why couldn't I see you? And she has said for 14 years, she stood by this. 14 years, she has said, Chad, if I wasn't there, then how did I see you struggling to get out of the boat? If I wasn't there, how did I see you jump out of the boat? If I wasn't there, how did I see you go straight in the lake? If I wasn't there, how did I see that little elf-like man lift you up out of the water? If I wasn't there, why do you think I laughed so hard when I saw you with dripping water? I was there all the time. And I said, well, Kimberly, if you were there all the time, if ever there was a time I needed you and was looking for you, you weren't there, I couldn't see you. Where were you? And she said these words. And friends, for 14 years, they've meant nothing to me until this last week or so when I was working on this message. This is what Jesus does, doesn't he? And she said to me, Chad... You couldn't see me because you were not looking for me because you were too busy trying to find your own way out of the boat. Is that how I miss Jesus in my suffering? It's not that he's not there. Friends, he was on the cross in that moment. He could do nothing more to prove to Mary, to prove to those who had followed him there, to prove to the ones who were rejecting him how much he was willing to enter into their suffering and be right there with them when life goes wrong. And yet they're wondering, where is God? Friends, do we miss that God is with us in our suffering, not because he's not there, but because, frankly, I'm too busy looking for a way out, not looking for him in it. Amen? And the truth is, I don't know if I want a God with me in it. I want a God to get me out of it. I don't need a God who suffers with me. I need a God who takes me out of the suffering. Amen? That's what I'm looking for. I mean, that's what the religious of Jesus' day were looking for. That's why they're hurling insults at him at the cross saying, hey, you saved others, let's see you save yourself. Because they weren't interested in a God who would come down from heaven and enter into their suffering and take the sins of the world onto himself. They were interested in a God who apparently would stand at the top of heaven and shout down to us as we struggle in humanity, hope you find a way out. Keep on trying. Keep on figuring it out. Hopefully you can do it. And maybe every once in a while, a few lucky souls can figure out a way to climb their way out. But our God in heaven is different than any other religion's God in the world. In all the history of the world, our God is a different God. Our God says, I won't stand on top and watch my humanity and creation suffer. And I shout instructions at them. I will come down, and through my son Jesus Christ, even though it will cost his life, I'll climb down into the midst of the pain, and you won't have to find a way out. I'll carry you out. Amen? That is what our God does. The church finally got it in Hebrews. They understood it. Chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. What if until we are willing to see God where we don't think we want him to be, he's not able to help us where we need it the most? Amen? He suffers to overcome suffering. He takes on sin to deliver from sin. He dies to give life. God is right there with you where life goes wrong. And so from the cross, Jesus answers for us all. Where is God when life goes wrong? When he says to Mary, woman, here is your son. And again, I said, now how is that an answer? That doesn't answer anything. That's a statement. That doesn't answer. No. question hasn't even. No, that doesn't. Not just because he's there, not just because he suffers, but because for him, suffering and death is personal. Here's what I mean. Think about this. He was dying to save the entire world. He is dying to redeem all of creation. And yet from the cross, struggling to breathe, he seeks out one. He looks her in the eye and he speaks to her. Our God does not just suffer for all. He suffers for one. And he suffers for all. Isn't that amazing? And he suffered. He would not just be the savior of the world. He would be the savior of Mary. He would be the savior of Chad Curran. He would be the savior of Mike Hancock. He would be the savior of Cindy Botres. He would be the savior of Sue Atherton. He would not. He could have. He would. He refused to just be the savior of the world as though that wasn't enough. He would be our savior. Amen? May we never grow so old in the faith that we don't, we don't just melt <laughs> We don't just fall apart in the reality that we have a God who not only entered into the suffering of the world, but he enters into our suffering. Intimately, personally interested, no matter how big or small the pain. And he meets Mary at her point in need. Woman, he says. To us that sounds cold, doesn't it? If I called my mom woman, she would smack me. All right? But throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, when Jesus uses that word, it's as though that's his pet name for Mary. It's a term of great endearment and affection. We can't hear all the, the love that comes through that Mary must have heard in that word. Because once again, he says to her, woman. How'd she not hear God in that? Woman, here's your son. This is remarkable because it tells you and me, though he died for our souls for eternity, that would have been enough for us. It wasn't enough for him. He wasn't just interested in where Mary would go when she died. <laughs> she was, he was interested in where she was going to go while she was still living. Are you with me yet? You see, our God has not just come to be the Savior of our soul for eternity. That would be more than enough. Praise the Lord. But he has also come to be the Savior of all of you here and now. 
He has come to enter into your past, to your present, to your future. He wants to be the Savior of all of that. He wants to be the Savior of your body, of your mind, and your spirit. That's why he says, love you, God with everything you are, because he loves everything you are. All of Mary mattered to Jesus, and all of you matters to him. And he's not just content on you dying and going to heaven someday. He's content on, he is absolutely set and dead bent on you having new life here and now. So Mary, you don't have social security. You don't have insurance. My siblings, they don't believe in me yet. You're left alone, but here's your boy. And John, you're the only one standing with me. You think you have no one. Here's your mother. He's dying to save the world, and yet he cares intimately about our personal needs, and that means all of us. Amen? I was thinking of all this and got to thinking about um, our daughter, Anna. She was almost eight years old because it was uh, two years ago. Her birthday's in March. She was just getting ready to turn eight. We had truly felt that God had called us to uh, move to Canton, Ohio to try to refocus a 100-year-old church. They had voted 95% to do that, and we made it there a year and a half, so that tells you how well that vote went. But in the transition time, Anna was struggling because I'd be gone during the week while we were trying to sell our house, and then I would come back and see them for on Thursday night and Friday, and then we would drive to Canton for Saturday and Sunday. And, and Kimberly, one day, she said, Chad, I do not know what's wrong with Anna, but she is being mouthy. She is acting out. She, she disobeys everything. I have never seen her to this degree like this. And I said, well, you know, I'm coming home. You know, I'm the drill sergeant in our house. You know, dump da dump da not We get things done. We're not going to play around with this stuff. I, you know, Kimberly's soft. I'm not soft. We're going to deal with this. So I get there, and I say, okay, Anna, let's go talk. I mean, your mom's told me what's going on, and then she gets mouthy with me. I'm like, oh, you're going to do it to Daddy now. That was a bad move. Shouldn't do that. And we march upstairs. You're going to talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Anna can't talk. She tries, but every time she tries, nothing will come out. Nothing comes out right. And finally, tears welling up in her eyes. She looks at me and she says, Daddy, can't you just hold me? Hmm. And I opened my arms and she buried her little head in my chest and she began to sob. And through the tears, I began to hear everything an eight-year-old goes through when she feels like her world's falling apart. <laughs> I'm sad, Daddy. I don't want to go, Daddy. I miss you, Daddy. I don't know why I'm acting like this, Daddy. I don't know why I'm doing it to Mommy. And she just sobbed. And guess what I did? I cried. <laughs> and I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, how many times does Jesus say to us, if I, as an earthly, wicked, self-centered father, will do that for my little girl, then, friend, specifically to you who is going through what feels like hell right now, how much more is the Father on the cross inviting you to see that he opened his arms wide, as far open as he could, that you could bury your head in his blood-stained chest and he would embrace you and hold you and he would enter into your suffering. Amen? So that you might know that that's where God is when life goes wrong. Amen? And as Pastor Mike said, we know the rest of the story.
He doesn't do it to leave us there. Thank God. He enters into our suffering to let us see God there, to let us let God hold us there, and then let God carry us through it and to the other side of it. You'll talk about that next Sunday. <laughs> You'll sing on that. You'll celebrate that. You'll shout hallelujah over that next Sunday. But for this Sunday, understand that God is right there where you are when life goes wrong with you because he wants you to know that the cross is the, the end of the note of the song that Mary was singing that says, your song doesn't have to end even though suffering has come. Amen? I didn't do this as the first service. You sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you sing that last verse? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than Father, we thank you that you dare to enter into the suffering of our world and even our lives. So what the world says should stop our song, never again has to. What a mystery. What amazing grace. Thank you, Lord. And now, God, we get to come and receive you through Holy Communion. That your body was broken for us. Your blood was poured out for us. As though the cross wasn't enough a symbol. You gave your church this, Lord. That together we can remember that you have entered in. You're right there with us when life goes wrong. And you have overcome. And through your sustaining grace, we keep moving forward in you. So we give thanks. <laughs> we come before these tables as those who are serving are coming. We come to receive today with hearts of great gratitude. And if there's anyone here who today has not yet encountered the God who enters in, may this be the, their first moment, Lord. May they know they're all welcome. Everyone's welcome at your table to come and take your bread and receive the juice and eat and drink and in so doing say Jesus if you're real if you're here then I want to see you today in Jesus name we pray amen would you come and receive